Bird's Eye View is brought to you by BeMoreAroundTown.com. If you're looking to attend an Orioles event, whether it be opening day or a hashtag orange road trip, BeMoreAroundTown.com has to be your first stop. Packages include tickets to the game of your choice, along with an epic pregame party that includes food and an open bar. It's the perfect package for any Orioles fan and takes care of all the stress and planning so you can focus on cheering on the Orioles. Head on over to BeMoreAroundTown.com or click the banner at the top of our site to book your next event around Baltimore. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is March 16th, 2015. I am Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my little boy, my half a man, Jake English. You can find us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You should also be checking us out on the Baltimore Sports Report. You can find them at baltimoresportsreport.com. We're a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You should also be checking out Baltimore Sports Today, which is a daily podcast held by the Baltimore Sports Report Network. And uh, Jake, I think you're going to be popping on there maybe later later this week to talk basketball not bsr not bsr today but uh yeah i I might be talking some basketball this week this week um, baltimore sports today is talking the mount rushmore Uh, of sports that's what they're talking about today yeah make sure you check it out okay um for those that want to be following us on third-party applications highly recommend stitcher miro double twist and i suppose that apple product uh known as itunes and if you're gonna do that please make sure that you write a review and a rating be honest as harsh or as glowing as you want to be, but it really helps the program, and we really appreciate it. Yeah. Most importantly, you should be following us on social media at facebook.com slash bvcast, but most importantly whatsoever, follow us on Twitter for our witty 140-character banter on Twitter at birdseyeviewbal. Jake, with that, let's go into the drink of the week. My drink of this week is the Telltale Heart IPA. Mm. How is it? It's really good. Okay, good. Uh, Jake, I'm going with a Jailbreak Brewing Company Scoville Jalapeno IPA. Jalapeno IPA. Would you like to try some? I would. Hang on. Okay, one second. Live We're, radio. Yep, live radio. Hmm, that's a beer. <laughs> that's a high recommendation. Um, for those that want to know what we're drinking during the week, you should be following us on Untapped. Uh, we regularly post to Twitter. You can follow Jake at JakeE4025, and you can follow myself at MEGN8606. Um, Jake, with that, you want to go to the twat? Before we do the twat, can we do Ooh. the medical wing real oh, quick? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's fine. Last week, we had a, training. last week, we had a big breaking bit of news with uh, Ryan Webb being allergic to ice. Ice, ice, baby. But you said something that that I hadn't thought about, which was interesting. You said that maybe this was the Orioles trying to hide Ryan Webb because he couldn't, he he, he might not make the roster. Oh, of course, that would never happen for the Orioles. No, no, of course not. But here's something that's interesting. This week, Jason Garcia, mm-hmm. Rule Five draft pick, high A ball player. Yeah, I saw this. Tweaked his knee. Yeah, I saw that. I was just like, oh, that's interesting. So here's the thing, Scott Magnus. Did he really tweak his knee, or is this rosterbation? Uh. I don't think we can call it rosteration anymore. I think we need to call it um, PS. PS? Pothole syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have to, That's awful. We'll have to take a look and see how Jason Garcia worked out. The thing is, is that 
it's a little early in camp, I think, for yeah. this. It if has happened has, during like the last week right. of March. If he has a legit shot to make the club, I want to see him pitch again. And, and for both Rule 5 guys, Verrett and Garcia, I've liked what I've seen. Yeah. And so I want to see this guy pitch again because if he's got a chance to make the club or if the Orioles are going to execute a trade to keep him in the organization – I definitely want to make sure that we've got the real goods. All right, are we done talking about the medical wing now? We're done with the medical wing. So, so sorry to annoy you with the medical wing. Gosh, medical actual wing. baseball. Yeah. Let's go to something that is completely worthless and a waste of everyone's time. Let's go to the twat this week on the Twitter. This week on the Twitters. I just want to start first with a tweet I'm calling, Shots Fired! Shots Fired! Unnecessary Shots Fired. Unnecessary <laughs> Shots Fired. 105.7 The Fan, uh, which tweets at 105.7 The Fan, uh, tweeted out, Listen to the at Orioles take on the at Blue Jays today at 105. Listen without static. Ouch. On at 105.7, the fan not streaming prohibited by the MLB. Really? Really? You have to take pot shots at the AM station after you've already won the rights? Yeah. What's wrong with a little static? Well, let me follow up on this. The location that I was in... Mm -hmm. 1057 comes in with static. Oh. So I nearly tweeted them back to let them know that it was false advertising. False advertising. Um, this is, comes into a category of what I normally wouldn't think that this program would ever talk about, but it's actually news about the Nationals. Oh, let's talk about the Nationals. <laughs> okay. Let's do that. Okay. Let's talk about them. Yeah. Um, at Hardball Talk um, has a tweet from, uh, it says, Gio Gonzalez feels good, right meow. Um, and it's Gio Gonzalez giving an interview to the Nats announcer, um yeah what do you think about this jake i think this is the best thing happening right meow okay so what was so great about it he played the cat game what he played the cat game right meow he played the cat game right do you remember our uh, episode and i don't remember the number do you remember the episode where we ha had the guys on from bless you boys from detroit now listen i just want to let you know that we all i will always remember that of having them right on before the playoffs and pulling the meow game on them and just kind of talking to them about it uh, about everything about the Tigers and just, you know, saying meow whenever we can. Meow, 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 meow. I think I'm at 13 now, by the way. Meow! <laughs> Next week comes from Math for the Win. This comes from Ace of MLB Stats, something that Jake probably wouldn't want to follow. And you can follow them at Ace Ball Stats. In terms of career war, one season, 162 games played by Orioles' Cal Ripken Jr. is worth about 197 games played by Yankees' Derek Jeter. R3 pecked or... Here's the thing. Not fair. Why is that not fair? Not fair. They may use numbers. They may be into stats. And that's a shortcoming, and I acknowledge it. However, anybody that's willing to go to the pun of ace ball stats mm. is okay in my book. Okay. Uh, this goes into the thank you tweet. And I'd like to go and give this to Rob Arthur. He uh, posts regularly at Baseball Prospectus as a writer there. Data scientist is a redundant and silly term. All scientists are data scientists. Thank God. Thank God people finally are saying this. Back off, man. He's a scientist. Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Next, we're going to do our hat tip of the week, and this comes from Pete Gilbert, who, of course, Pete, uh, who of course tweets at WBAL Pete. He tweets, the no-brainer sign Over of the static. week. Overstatic. <laughs> <laughs> the no-brainer sign of the week at the Turgenites in the house, hashtag Terps. Sorry, Scott, I know you want us to stick to baseball, but this has to be about has the Maryland Terrapins. The The tweet is a picture of the uh, the guys that dress up as Mark Turgeon, complete with the uh, hair dye yep. over the spot. And the dance and everything, yeah. It's the guys holding up a sign. They're clearly there at the Big Ten tournament. The sign says Chicago is greater than Greensboro. There you go, math. It's math for you. I like it. 
Chicago, better than Greensboro. Look, you know why they can do use math now? Because they're in the Big Ten Conference as opposed to the ACC. Love what the Terps are doing. Uh, hate what happened with the seating. But I will say, um, I'm really enjoying being uh, watching these Terps play in the Big Ten. But let's not hate on the ACC just because we're not there anymore. That's a great, or at least it was, a great basketball conference. The history that's there, the history that's there because of Maryland and the rest, let's, let's not lose sight of that. Those were great years. I would agree. Those were good rivalries and good memories. But right now, Chicago way better than Greensboro. Yeah. Um, this is going to go to my hat tip of the week. And congratulations to the Terps for actually getting back into March Madness. But this one's a little bit better in my book. This is a segue off of an MLB trade rumors tweet that says, Second Doctor recommends TJ surgery for Darvish. And our good friends, the Spastics, at Oriole Spastics, posted, He went to a Time Lord? And posted a picture of the second doctor. Well done, gentlemen. Well done. Bravo. Bravo. You can't beat it. Nope. Can't beat that one. All right. Next on the Twitter, this goes into the uh, makes sense category. And this comes from Jeff Long at BSL Jeff Long. The Orioles are always super concerned about minimizing the running game. And then there's Abaldo letting people basically walk to second base. Wait. I don't want you putting words in Jeff Long's mouth. Mm. This is really important to me, Scott. I feel like we should let the man speak for himself. All right, let's go right to the source and uh, get his opinion. It feels like I only go backwards, baby. Every part of me says go ahead. I got my hopes up again. No, no, not again. It feels like I Hey, Jake, as we uh, continue to prepare for the 2015 season, we decided to reach out to Jeff Long, who authored the Orioles preview in the annual edition of Baseball Prospectus. Jeff is a writer at Baseball Prospectus with his article on column called Pitching Backwards, which is apropos for that song. Uh, in addition to his work on Baseball Prospectus, he has written before for Beyond the Box Score and on his blog, Warehouse Worthy. And you can also check him out as a uh, senior contributor at Baltimore Sports and Life. So, Jeff, thanks for joining us today to talk to some average fans, and uh, hopefully, you can educate us a bit uh, about you know what baseball prospectus is all about and some of the sabermetric viewpoints about the Orioles this year. So, we we start every single interview with what is your drink of the week? Um, my current drink right now is. Dr. Pepper, because as I told you guys, I don't drink alcohol. So, uh, okay, I'm now you're making us feel bad. Soda fiend. I replace all of the alcohol that a normal human would drink with soda, which is probably equally unhealthy, if not worse. And so, Dr. Pepper is the drink of choice this week. Okay, well, you've already started off absolutely poorly because you're making us feel terrible for, <laughs> but we'll drink, drink for you uh, and, and we'll go from there. So, I wanted to quickly go through and read a quick passage from Baseball Prospectus Annual that came out this year and from um, basically what you said about the Orioles. And I thought this was a really interesting uh, quote in it. This is what it says. It says, the Orioles' current run of success has been guided by a different philosophy. None at all. Duquette and Showalter have built a winner through emphasis on the periphery of their roster. Though there are a handful of homegrown contributors, this isn't a team like the Cubs, uh, that the Cubs soon will, with a lineup full of players promoted from the minors. Instead, it was built through outside acquisition and centered around a manager who can quickly and effectively integrate new Orioles into their roles. 
Um, some might take that as a very negative fashion. Can you discuss that philosophy further and the inherent benefits and pitfalls of such a strategy? Sure. So, you know, it's funny because we talk about um, the Orioles having a really strong core. And a lot of times when you think of that, you're looking at teams that have sort of grown organically from their prospects and, and whatnot. The Orioles haven't really done that. I mean, they have a couple of guys, um, you know, Machado and Weeders and uh, Brian Mattis. And you know, they, have a, they have a handful of guys that have become contributors on these playoff teams that have risen up through the ranks. Um but uh, for the most part, you look at the key contributors like J.J. Hardy, like Adam Jones, um, and more recently, guys like you know Steve Pierce and um, Bud Norris and uh, Ubaldo Jimenez, you know, they've all been additions from outside the organization. And I think uh, one thing that Dan Duquette has shown over his history of being a general manager, uh, both in Montreal and also Boston, is that he's really good at augmenting the core of a roster with these sort of cheap or ancillary additions that end up playing a big role. And so I know he didn't acquire all those guys hardy and whatever. Um, but what he has done over the last three years or so is um, sort of built on the, I like to call it like the 30 through 40 spots or the 25 through 40 spots of the 40 man roster uh, to give Buck Showalter a lot of options. And those guys like, Nelson Cruz and Deaza, when put in, in the position to succeed, have done so, and that's been a huge part that's fueled their success. So uh, I know a lot of fans have kind of said, oh, you know, the Orioles, with those ways back, you know, uh, Earl Weaver would be so proud, but these teams are very different from the Orioles teams of the 70s that want to, you know, whole heck of a lot of games because they're not homegrown. You know, they didn't, they didn't come up through the minor league system. Um, they're, that's the Cubs. You know, the Cubs have all these Uber prospects like the Orioles once had with, you know, um, Cal and they, I think they won like five uh, rookie of the year awards over eight seasons sometime in the seventies. So, you know, the Orioles aren't doing that right now. What they're doing is uh, bringing on a lot of guys that are flawed in a certain way, but deploying them in, in positions where they're going to succeed and then kind of getting the benefit of the sum is greater than the parts rather than kind of having really great parts that end up adding up to a really big sum, as it were. I'm curious to hear what you would say about the sustainability of a strategy like that, because I, I think the difference now uh, between now and what we experienced during the dark period was for a team that, that wasn't bringing up any quality prospects wasn't really building from within um, during the the long losing streak. It seems like the team not wanting to spend money would just overpay for um, for veterans that are on the tail end of their careers, especially veteran relievers, right? And and instead, <laughs> well, you know, like the Joe Carters, the Vladimir Guerreros. I mean, the list goes on and on. Yep. But in, instead, yep. what we're doing is we're not spending money by bringing on these useful kind of spare parts to augment. Um, you know, clearly. It was not going to work bringing in the Vladimir Guerreros of the world when we didn't have anything to build on. But do you think that the strategy that's being employed right now is something that can work for a while? Or do you think that that's a, a limited strategy that can only work around uh, the nucleus that might be also leaving? Or going like a lottery ticket, just basically relying on, let's hope everything goes okay. Yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit of all those things. Um, the, so I kind of position it as, the Orioles got really lucky in that. Um, hey, 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 you're not supposed to say that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, this isn't reference to winning games. This okay. is reference to their hires. Um, Don't worry, we're going to cut it out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, edit it out. Um, you know, they they picked up, um, they had Andy McPhail, and, you know, McPhail is really, really good, and he has been throughout his career. 
of sort of building strong cores and, and paying attention to the little things and um, kind of instituting a really strong organizational philosophy. And he built the core. I mean, he really did with, you know, the Eric Bedard trades and the J.J. Hardy trade and all these things. He helped build this really strong core. Now, then they kind of moved on from McPhail to Duquette. And what Duquette is really good at is kind of optimizing those marginal wins. Like, how do I go from uh, 85 wins to 88 wins? And how do I go from 88 wins to 92 wins? And um, that's kind of what he did really well in, in Boston. And that's why Boston brought him on. And then ultimately, they kind of cut bait with him and let CO, you know, take the World Series reign home. Um, but I think it, it depends. You know, it really depends. In Boston, he ran into this problem where he had a lot of money and he started extending guys like Trot Nixon, who uh, probably shouldn't have been uh, extended. And he started spending money a little willy-nilly. And I'm hoping he's learned from that. And it certainly seems like that. You know, he hasn't made some, any ridiculous um, offers to Chris Davis or Matt Weeders yet that we know of. Um, you know, the J.J. Hardy deal is really reasonable. So it seems like he's learned. Uh, and that's a good thing. The downside is... Um, being in win now mode for three seasons with a relatively shallow minor league system has left this team in a position where after this season, you know, come 2016, I'm actually, I think it's a big storyline that not a lot of people are talking about. It's going to be interesting to see what happens where do they have that core where if, you know, a couple of guys leave Davis and Weir specifically, um, Darren O'Day, et cetera, Bud Norris, are they going to be able to sort of reboot and build back from within, or are they going to have to rely on more and more lottery tickets? So, you know, I think it's okay to have lottery tickets when those lottery tickets aren't your shortstop center fielder starting pitching. Um, you know, those core guys up the middle of the team, catcher is another one. Um, but they're going to get into a position where they might need to start buying some lottery tickets in those spots. Um, and, you know, that's, that's come back to haunt you. So, you don't want to rely too heavy on too heavily on it. And Buck's proven really good at sort of deploying these players in, in positions where they succeed, but you don't want to stretch yourself too thin. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the O's do this year and what their plan is for 2016. Do they reload or are they going to have to go into kind of a two or three year rebuilding cycle where they try and, you know, rebuild that farm system and make another run at it in, you know, 2017 or 2018 or whatever it is, or can they, continue to augment the edges of that roster and kind of complement around the young pitching that they're going to have uh, and main, and maintain their competitive uh, spot in the division. You know, I, I don't know. It's going to be tough and it's going to be interesting, but I think it's a big storyline to watch if you're into the sort of long view of things. All right. Fair enough. We're talking about the long view. Uh, we often have to go deep into that 40 man roster. Like you said, onto the periphery to see, you know, play, players that make a difference between a, a good club and a great club or, you know, a pretty good club to a great club. Last year, it was very arguably Steve Pierce. Steve Pierce made up for the time that uh, Nelson Cruz took off in the middle of the season. Um, and he also made up a lot of the, the offensive production that Chris Davis, again, kind of took off of. And maybe in 2012, you could say that that peripheral player was Nate McLeod, who came from, you know, almost nothing to, uh, to, regain a certain form that he had back when he was you know a pretty good player if you had to to peg one for this year who do you think would be that that peripheral player who would push the Orioles to be a playoff contender um you know it's a great question I think that the most likely candidate is probably Travis Snyder simply because um he's a typical Duquette pickup a guy who has some upside former top prospects a lot of tools just never really kind of put it all together 
and he traded a couple of left-handed uh, pitching prospects, both you know Tarpley and uh, Paul are probably relievers in, in the long run, and um, you know picked up a guy who could reasonably. I mean, if you told me that Travis Snyder hit 275 with 25 home runs this season, I probably wouldn't be shocked. Uh, it'd be a pleasant surprise, but I wouldn't be shocked. So I think he's the most obvious candidate. He's going to get the playing time to do so. Another guy that a lot of people have picked out is um, Everett Cabrera. I don't see it simply because I just don't see him getting the playing time necessary to do that. You know, is is he going to supplant uh, Jonathan Scope at second base? You know, I don't know. I mean, Scope spent a whole season at Major League Baseball in Major League Baseball last year and didn't he didn't play great. His batting average was pretty pretty poor, but he didn't drown. You know, he didn't hit 150. Um, and I think that sending him back down to AAA is probably not the best thing for his development at this point. So do you kind of mortgage his uh, development and put Everett Cabrera at second base? I, I don't know. It's, it, that's a tough decision for Buck. Um, so to me, it's probably Snyder. The outfield's a bigger question mark than the infield is. And uh, he's definitely got the talent to do it. It's just, is he going to be able to maintain that performance that he had in the second half of last season over the course of a full you know, major league season? Talking about people that are on the periphery are going to have to perform in a certain regard to make this team into a playoff situation. Kevin Gossman obviously has to be one of those players. Um, but you also have Dylan Bundy um, overcoming Tommy John surgery uh, pretty much for his first full year. Uh, can you talk about your thoughts about the future of Orioles pitching with Kevin Gossman and Bundy? Uh, and do you have any concerns about Bundy with the reduced velocity so far that he's been showing in spring training? Um, you know, I'm not super concerned about Bundy. Uh, he was up to 96, 97 at the end of last year. Uh, I think, I think he needs a little more time. He's really not that far out from, uh, Tommy John surgery. I think he's like 14 months out or something like that. Um, you know, last year he started pitching less than a year after having surgery. Uh, so everyone was kind of freaking out about his loss of velocity, but you know, uh, 90% of guys who have a surgery aren't even pitching at that point. So, you know, he's a guy who I think he's going to regain that velocity. He really, he doesn't need to get up to 97, 98 like he once was. If he fits, you know, mid-90s, 90, 93 to 95, he'll be in perfect shape. And the cutter, assuming he can still throw it, it was a plus pitch, you know, back when he was 18 years old. So I'm excited about him. I'm also really excited about Hunter Harvey. You know, he has a hammer curveball, and I'm a sucker for good curveballs. Uh, so he's a guy that's kind of shot up prospect lists. And I think that between, you know, Gossman, Bundy and Harvey, if you get two frontline guys out of that, and I think that's actually realistic, especially because Gossman's shown that he has the raw stuff to be a frontline guy in MLB already. Um, you know, they're really in great shape. So uh, I think at minimum they've got Bundy's probably right now, a fifth starter floor, you know, I think next season he'll probably be the number five guy. And I think he'll, he'll be able to handle that pretty easily. So if you get a sort of number one, number two out of Gossman, a five at worst out of Bundy, and then Harvey's your typical pitching lottery card could be a top rotation guy, could be a back end guy. That's a pretty solid base for your team as far as your rotation. So I'm excited about those three guys. I mean, they're really, they're all very different pitchers and they're all really exciting in their own ways. So. In the past, we had to put our hopes on these pitching prospects. So every time we, we saw modest success in the minors for guys like Adam Lowen and Daniel Cabrera and Matt Riley. Chris Wright. And <laughs> the list goes on and on and on. We, we, we hoped that good things were right around the corner. It seems like we do have quality in Hunter Harvey, 
and Dylan Bundy. You know, they might not be the stars that they're made out to be when they were drafted. But I'm curious, you'd mentioned the overall lack of depth in the minor league system, and I agree with you. And I think that's probably why the Orioles are so active in the uh, minor league free agent market as well as in the uh, in the Rule 5 draft. Can you comment on maybe some of the other guys like, you know, a Barry or, you know, obviously we ha- we felt like we had the depth to go ahead and, and part with an Eduardo Rodriguez. Is the rest of the pitching uh, depth in the upper level of the minor leagues uh, an encouraging sign? Or do you think we're back to the uh, the era of the dark ages where, you know, we're getting excited about guys like Matt Riley again? Uh, you know, I don't think it's uh, the dark ages. <laughs> um, you know, what you have in the upper minor, so I, I guess the big difference for me is, if you think back to the dark ages when we were looking at guys like Mattis and Brad Burgesson and, you know, I remember Brad Burgesson's rookie season and everyone was really excited that yep. he was going to be this breakout pitcher. And, you know, there were a lot of guys who their primary trait was pitchability. You know, they, they didn't have great stuff, but they kind of worked, they pitched backwards and they, they worked the zone and they, you know, moved guys around. Um, you know, those kind of pitching prospects are, quite frankly, terrifying. And so what the Orioles have now in terms of their top-end guys are guys like Harvey, Bundy, and Gossman who just have lightning electric stuff. And that's a little easier to dream on. Um, the rest of those guys, like Zach Davies, Tim Berry, Mike Wright, they're guys who are a lot like the Burgessons. And even Zach Britton was a lot of this back in the day of, you know, decent stuff. They have one or two, you know, pretty good pitches, above average pitches, but really they just kind of pound the zone, work the zone, um, you know, and, and kind of try and make the right pitch at the right time. Yeah. Very sim- wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, very similar to the rest of yeah. our rotation right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is. So, you know, there's something wrong with that. I think a lot of those guys are back end of the rotation bullpen kind of arms. Um, but that's not the worst thing in the world to have in your high minors is that sort of, uh, number five, number four, number five kind of pitcher because the Orioles had a lot of success with a rotation full of fours and fives. So uh, I think it's good. It's a good mix of uh, guys like Davies and Wright who have a pretty high floor along with the Hunter Harvey who have a really high ceiling, but Hunter Harvey could you know blow out his elbow next week and never be the same. Um, and I guess that's part of the fear with Bundy. So, you know, it's a good mix. It's a good problem to have, I guess. Um, but it would be nice to see a little more of those pitchers in the system that have a lot of stuff. And they, they have a couple of draft picks early on in this coming draft, so hopefully they'll be able to pick up some younger guys, maybe some high school draftees that have some electric stuff to kind of pair with the Tim Berries of the world. Um, going back to current pitchers that are on the roster, I kind of wanted to go and talk about Weekend Chen because there was an interesting thing that came out on Twitter this past week from the beat writers. And, uh, they had indicated that Chen has uh, gone to adapting a palm ball, um, which I thought was really interesting because a palm ball is a change-up variant. And, you know, looking at, you know, Chen's, uh, you know, pitch selections on Brooks Baseball, there really is no change-up. Now, if you look at pitch FX, there's a change-up listed. But I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, this move to a palm ball and what benefit it might have to Chen and um, how how likely is it to see any success whatsoever of being an established veteran pitcher and moving to a brand new pitch selection? Yeah, so, you know, we talk about this a lot as far as, um, and I've actually been doing some research on um, pitchers and when they develop second, you know, additional secondary pitches and, you know, are you trying to differentiate yourself later in your career because your stuff isn't quite as good. The interesting thing about Chen is he 
So he has he throws three pitches, um, a fourteen fastball, a sinker, and a split change, according to Brooks, um, which now apparently was actually a circle change, although now it's kind of a palm ball and it's not really clear what happened there. Um, but all three of those pitches don't have a ton of differentiation between them. They all have very similar movement profiles. They look pretty pretty much the same coming out of his hand. Um, obviously, the fastballs are right around 92 miles an hour on average. The change is about 85, so a couple mile hours difference there. Um, the biggest thing, I think, is that you know, for Chen, the change or the split change or whatever he's throwing these days, um, it, he needs that to get those sort of right-handed hitters out. And obviously, more often than not, hitters are going to be righties facing him as a lefty. So um, it's important that he has good command of that pitch, that he can use that pitch as an out pitch to opposite-handed hitters. You know, he's done that with some success in the past. Um, I'm not sure of his, uh, you know, platoon splits. I'm kind of looking it up right now. Um but he's a guy who he doesn't have electric stuff. Like we said, he's pretty um, run of the mill, but he pitches, he, he has good locations. He pitches down in the zone pretty well. Um, yeah. So last year, his splits, he, you know, righties had a 326 um, Woba against him, weighted on base average and lefties at a 298. So, you know, he was definitely, and it's mostly slugging percentage. Actually lefties had a better batting average against him, but righties had, um, and the on-base percentage about the same. So righties are really just kind of hitting him harder, um, you know, more doubles, more home runs, those sorts of things. 20 home runs against righties last year. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's important for him to have a pitch that kind of gives him a differentiation from his fastballs um, because, you know, really don't want to be using too many of his breaking balls. I know he threw some sliders um, to righties, but he used, he threw a thousand splitters or changes or whatever over the course of his career to right-handed hitters. So, you know, it's important for him to have another tool to kind of give him a different look. And if he has better command of the palm ball, maybe a little bit different movement profile, maybe it drops a little more than his splitter was, uh, that's only going to help him differentiate his, his looks a little more and keep batters on their toes, which is hopefully going to help him give up fewer than 20 home runs to right-handed hitters last Yeah, if I remember correctly, too, I think either you or somebody else at Baltimore Sports and Life actually did a whole thing about Chen's uh, pitch selection with runners on base versus nobody on base. Um, But I think that's interesting, too, is a lot of those home runs that was given up were a lot of solo home runs. So it might be interesting to take a look at from a pitch selection standpoint of without anybody at the plate and with people on base and just see if he uh, customizes his pitch selection. Um, Jake, I believe you had a question next. Well, Jeff, for... for both longtime listeners of this program, um, they, they'll remember that one of the tenets of our podcast is, is this uh, not tension, not tension between the sabermetric world and and people who enjoy the, the game of baseball on its face. We have a chemistry. What can we say? <laughs> Scott is obviously very into the numbers. I, though I respect the numbers, um, and I'm not quite as big into it. Um, we're, we're probably a little more moderate than some of the shouting you hear on the airwaves. Um, but sabermetrics is a topic that comes up a lot for us. Um, and so we're very interested um, to hear um, your thoughts on the Orioles having Dom Chidi trying to explain sabermetric stats to, to the pitching staff. How much would you love to be a fly on that wall? Yeah, you know, I think it'd be interesting. Um, there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack there and there's a lot we don't know. Right. So we don't know exactly what they're learning. Um, you know, we don't know to what degree, uh, heat maps are utilized by the pitching staff and, you know, video and all this. There's a lot we don't know. 
Um, I do think it's great that they're kind of trying to give them a sabermetrics 101. Here's what you need to know. Um, I, I think there's two things about it, though. Number one, it's probably not the most valuable thing in the world if it's simply uh, here's how you here's what you know woba is or here's what you know batting average on balls in play means. Um, well, it's kind of it's great for them to understand the statistics and kind of get how you would derive them and what makes them up. I don't know that that necessarily has a ton of impact in terms of helping them um, perform differently or better. And maybe it's just a matter of them understanding the language that the coaching staff in the front office is using. I don't know. Um, but I do think if you look at things like uh, if they're showing them Brooks baseball scatter plots of their pitch movement and saying, Hey, look, you know, you, Hey, Wayne Chen, you need a breaking ball or an off speed pitch that gives you a different look to right-handed hitters because, you know, all these pitches break the exact same way. That's, that's valuable, right? So if it's things that are actionable that can help them, like, you know, looking at spray charts or looking at their batting average on balls in play on pitches they pull versus pitches they hit the other way, those kind of things can be really valuable because they can help inform their behavior. But if we're simply looking at, uh, you know, here is your weighted runs created plus from last year. It was 104. That means you were 4% better than the average player. Like, I don't know what, uh, if I were one of those players, they'd be like, Okay. okay. Yeah. So that's above average. All right. I guess. Do I get a bonus out of that, or what's the deal? Yeah. Exactly. It's it's one of those situations where numbers are great, but you have to be able to apply the information that you learn from them to have any sort of value whatsoever. So it's it's fine to talk about the numbers, and, but and plus for the pitcher, you know, if if ground balls are a good thing, there are a ton of stats to tell you that. Why why can't the coach just say, hey, throw low in the zone so you get more ground balls? It doesn't matter why it's important, Jake. It, it's all about yeah, spin so, angle. Um, there's actually, uh, and I'm trying to look up the, the guy's name right now, um, Ben Lindbergh, who writes for Grantland, he used to be the editor-in-chief of Baseball Perspectives, wrote an article um, September 23rd of last year. It's called the Pirates Sabermetrics Roadshow. And uh, a couple of friends of mine work in the Pirates front office. Uh, Andrew Gibson, who used to write for Camden Chat, works in that front office. And um, they actually have a guy, I think his name is Mike Fitzgerald, to his job is to travel with the team and kind of translate the sabermetric stuff in real time with the players. And so what Fitzgerald does really is um, work with, you know, their bench coaches and their coaching staff and the players to help improve their game and kind of make all the, the data actionable. Um, and there are some really awesome stories in here. I, I know there was one um, about one of their relievers where they talked about, you know, um, the batted ball profile of opposing hitters. And like if you, he, his goal is to pitch to a certain part of the zone because they're bringing the outfielders in and shifting them over to, you know, left field. And so he's like, if I, you know, we know based on the data that this is what's going to happen. If I put this pitch in this location, if a guy hits a, a deep fly ball down the right field line and nobody's out there to catch it and he hits a triple, I know it's on me because I didn't execute on my pitch. Um, you know, that kind of stuff is awesome. And I think, um, there's been great advances in sabermetrics recently. You know, the stuff that we've had done at BP around um, catcher framing and all that stuff. There's a lot of uh, still some unexplored territory, but I think the real revolution as far as teams go is going to be how do we communicate this, this wealth of information and actionable insights that we have to players in a way that's actionable. And so the pirates are probably on the cutting edge. And, and if you read this story from Ben, um, 
it's hard not to come away impressed. So if the Orioles are taking even one step down that route, that's terrific. But um, it, it does go to show that there's a lot that, you know, teams and players can still learn about how do we implement and make this sort of data and insight actionable so that it improves our performance. All right. Last question of the interview. This is the most important one. So don't mess up on this one. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Oh, man. Um, I'll go Beatles, I guess. All right. We we knew that the there's a reason we had you on for this. You're show. welcome back anytime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Beatles had what, like 27 number one songs or something? Is that sound right, Jake? They're number one in our hearts. That's all that matters. <laughs> don't don't try to put numbers yeah, on this. Mean, There's no sabermetrics for rock music. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't really uh, 27 number one songs. That's that's tough to beat. So, all right. Well, Jeff, we greatly appreciate you coming on the show and you know just talking to us about the Orioles and uh, just the peripheries all about the organization and. Um, you know, for anybody that wants to follow Jeff, I highly recommend subscribing to Baseball Prospectus. Um, he writes a great article on there um, pretty much weekly. Um, the uh, column is called Pitching Backwards, and it follows a plethora of conversations, but pretty much a lot about 12 to 6 curveballs and a lot of uh, animated pictures. Um, uh, <laughs> but you can also check him off also at Baltimore Sports and Life. And also, for those that want to follow him on Twitter, you should be following him at BSL Jeff Long. Jeff? Thanks for coming on the show and talking to us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun, guys. I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go. I would hate my disappointment to show. There's nothing for me here, so I will disappear if she turns up. Scott, I don't, I don't want to ruin this party, but I have some bad news for you. Ooh, okay. Opening day is going to be a really hot ticket this year. Really Hotter hot. than usual. The Orioles have sold so many 13-game packages that there are not enough opening day seats to go around. 81 and 29-game plan holders are guaranteed tickets, whereas 13-game plan holders are, are going to have to enter a lottery system. Uh, I think it's going to be the same kind of lottery system that we've seen uh, with what the Orioles have done with purchasing playoff tickets. And frankly, the fans have become somewhat accustomed to that because the Orioles have been more uh, successful in the past. But the 13-game plan holders will be treated, quote, with seniority, Yep. end quote. And uh, I'm not really sure how that's going to work. We'll, we'll see how that shakes out. Yes. Are you, are you confident— that as a 13-game plan holder who showed up before this 2014 season that we're going to be okay? Absolutely not. It's the Orioles and it's PR. There's no way this is going to work out okay. There's going to be massive upheaval and people said that was a stupid way to go about things. But it's the Orioles, so what are you expecting? All right. You know, it may sound daunting to people, to those of us who are not, let's call them Johnny Scope Latelys, but... For those of us that have had, does he have a high K percentage? <laughs> <laughs> for those of us that have had season ticket plans for a while, and we might be okay, but I have to say that it's probably the fairest way that the Orioles can do it. Right? I mean, they want to sell as many season ticket plans as they can. I have no beef with that. They're gonna, 
have to find the most fair way that they can to, to dole out the limited amount of 46,000 seats to opening day that they can. Not this, to ma- this not, is probably the best they can do, right? Yeah, not to mention if you really want an opening day ticket really that badly, you could always go out and get a 29-game plan and um, get your opening day ticket that way. So I think to a certain regard, there probably is no better way to go about it. All right, so the Orioles are not a bunch of dicks. Let's just say that. Well... When it comes to this, the Orioles are not a bunch of dicks. Well... Sorry, Orioles, I tried. (laughs) But let's think for a moment about the worst. What happens, Scott, if Hmm. we don't get opening day tickets? For me, this will be a big deal. Okay. This will be the first time, if we don't get seats, this will be the first time for me in 10 years that I wouldn't be there to cheer on my Orioles as they run down the orange carpet. Can I... I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast. Can I tell you about my opening day hookup? Go ahead. I like to hear this. Yeah. <laughs> so my first job out of college. Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> my first job out of No, she was there. It's oh, cool. Ooh, hey, yeah. she's cool. She's cool. My first job out of college, I worked for a consulting firm in, in Washington, D.C., and they had uh, they had seats at Canyon Yards, and that was all nice, good, and fine. But the company did business with the Sheridan Inner Harbor. And so as such we got access to an opening day package that the Sheridan Inner Harbor had, which was you show up at the Sheridan, it's a, a lunch of all-you-can-eat ballpark fare. So okay. hamburgers, hot dogs, crab cakes, okay. fries, et cetera, et cetera, and open bar. Oh, it's, you still work at this place, right? <laughs> open bar beer, right? Beer that they serve at the ballpark. Right, and you still work at this place, right? No, no, no. So we, we would go there for lunch, and then afterward, the 305 game, we get tickets to the auxiliary Sheridan uh, box, which is you know down right field line, you know maybe three oh five or whatever oh, it is. But tough, right? Tough. Yeah, right. <laughs> Seat, seats to opening day and all you can eat and drink. Yes. So uh, anyway, we we had that deal, and then our company stopped doing business with the Sheridan. Mm. But my name remained on the list. Yes. And so every year I would call and I would say, hey, I didn't get my invitation this year. Can you work it out for me? My name is such and such and such. I was there last year and they'd hook me up. So eventually I I got them to string them along saying, hey, it might work out. Our company might do business with you again if I could just get there and do some networking. This is good networking, yes. 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 It's a good business write-off. So a few years we had this deal. Then I left the company. Mm, Yes. I tried pulling it. I pulled it one more time. It's pretty impressive. And then after that, they were like, no, no. no. A little while afterwards, we, we bought our own tickets, and then eventually we became season ticket holders. But opening day is a big deal. It's, I, it's, an, it's a holiday in Baltimore. Whenever I take it off and I, I mark out the slip on, on uh, at work, I always mark religious holiday. As did I, and I got many a curious looks from my HR staff saying, is it Orthodox Easter or like, no, it's opening day. And they're like, oh, okay, you're a crazy person. It's a big deal. So it would be a big deal for me to miss opening day for the first time in 10 years. But let's let's just think about it. What's the worst that can happen? I, I, I think that there are limited options, but good options out there. Sure. Right? So if you can't make it out to Camden Yards, the first thing you can do, the first thing you can do is you can just go to work. And you can pretend this is not happening. Yeah, that's not happening. You DVR the game. You do social media blackout. No. You pretend this is not happening. You wear blinders all day. You tell all your friends to shut up. You go home and you watch the game in the solitude of your own living room or basement or what it is. 
I don't no, love that option. No, that's a terrible option. That's an absolutely terrible option. I remember specifically as a kid growing up, my dad would actually get me out of school early to come home and watch opening day. So that's not an option for me. Well, that's because you had good parents. Yes. That's that's solid parenting. Let Our, me ask you, Scott Magnus, you have young children. When yes. they become of school age, what will opening day look like for those kids? Mm, they're going to be with the grandparents because daddy's going to be at opening day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. What's the age at which they start making the trek? When they can start buying their own season tickets, yeah, they can start coming with daddy. Wow. Yeah. That is harsh. It is, but it's... That's harsh treatment. It is. All right. So that is the first option. Pretend it's not happening. I I think that the the next option clearly is something you can do at at your own home. Yeah. I take off every year for for opening day, so I'm not going to screw this up. If I don't get to go to the ballpark, I'm not going to work. It's not happening. Sure. Hear me out on this. For other people that are crazy like us that take off for opening day... What about having a party at your house in front of the big screen and do a spread like Super Bowl? I think it's a great idea. We actually did this for the wild card game in 2012, and we also did it during ALDS game number three when it was in Detroit. Um, kind of didn't do it when we went to Kansas City for ALCS game number three because... Buh, 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 buh. We're not talking about okay. the ALCS. It didn't happen. Go back to the ALDS. I'm listening. But we did do it for ALDS game number three at my humble abode, and we had a good time. With, you know, a very Super Bowl-like party and uh, watched as you and me sat in the corner rocking very <laughs> intently saying, oh, my God, just close it out, just close it out, just close it out. And it was a good time overall. And 2012 wildcard game was a really great time because every single time the Orioles scored, I took a shot. So I had five shots that night, so it was a fun time as well. It was a fun time for you. I'm not sure everybody else loved that party. Mm, I think everyone loved that party because there was a lot of high-fiving at the end. But I think that's a a decent alternative to kind of congregate with a bunch of friends. But honestly, it's all about being in a large group and experiencing people walking about the streets of Baltimore, high-fiving each other, and seeing the excitement of the day. I think the best opportunity is to go downtown and be at a bar and watch the game if you're going to do anything. Go ahead, Jake. The the thing is, you could not be more right. And and here's why. Let's forget opening day for a second. I went to go meet some friends of my wife's at a bar, at, at a small bar, not important bar. No, nobody, you know, it's not a big deal. But we were there for just hanging out on a Wednesday night or something like that. It was during Orioles season. And it was during the time that the Orioles were on the march to their playoff run. And it was so funny because we were at this bar and, you know, it was half full maybe. It was a weeknight. But every eye was on the Oriole game. And that was so weird for me because I'm I'm the one, you know, that used to say, yeah. hey, hey, can you can turn you... the game on? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, hey, can you turn the Oriole game on? It, it, it's it's you all massive, say, they, Can you just put the game on? What game? Oh, right. Well, the Oriole game. They're playing it tonight? Yeah. This this was every eye was on the Orioles. And it was, it was like a Wednesday. Yeah. And you it, know, it wasn't an important game, but every eye was on the Orioles game. And they were emotionally invested in yes, the game. Yes, yes. And so it's the ninth inning, and the Orioles, you know, Zach Britton comes in. He closes down the game. Everyone in the bar pulls out their keys, and they start shaking them. <laughs> Only in my dreams. <laughs> but the game ends, and everybody's cheering and high-fiving. And I'm like, yes, ball- baseball is back in Baltimore. I can only imagine that on opening day, every single establishment with a television is exactly like that. Sure. Times 10. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's all the the regular spots you know everybody says pickles you, you and i have been to pickles i love pickles yeah we went uh last year tried to do the uh breakfast buffet didn't work More out up. for us nope I had, I had wings for breakfast folks um but everywhere you can go 
in, in Baltimore with a TV, I'm sure on opening day is going to be just like that. People like you that are insane, have an Orioles problem that are just as invested in the game. But beyond that, I mean, there are some folks that some establishments rather that make this a, a regular thing. Sure. I mean, I know what I'm going to be doing. And if I don't get tickets, you know, this week, I know what I'm doing. I'm shilling out the money just like I did in the past where I'm going to go and buy an opening day ticket for a premium price. Um, but I'm going to do that, you know, and support, you know, a local co- company. And, I, you know, I'm not going to be shilling here, but I am going to go out and support Be More Around Town. I think it's a great opportunity for me to go get an opening day ticket for me to go and have, you know, many hours for me to drink more so than I can do at Pickles. I remember when we went to Pickles, they said, you can sit here, but it's going to be like an $80 charge for you on your credit card. I'm like, yeah, no thanks. It's uh, take me, I'm a big drinker. I'm a big it drinker. takes me a while to get to 80 bucks. Correct. Exactly. So I'm going to go over to Fells. I'm going to go sit in Nobles. I'm going to go to be more around town. And actually, I'm going to grab their package um, where you actually go up to Philadelphia for a road trip and go up there as well because I really have wanted to go to Citizen Park for a while. So that's my plan. Uh, if nobody joins me, so be it. But that's my plan. I'm going to go and experience opening day no matter how much it costs. I'm sure you won't be alone. Let me ask you this question. We've talked about opening day, all right? Various options out there. The best one, obviously, is go downtown. Be part of the excitement. But you and I are season ticket holders. We're 13 game plan holders. We're hoping we get opening day tickets. But if we don't, we're going to be in trouble. And there are a lot of people like us. There are a lot of 13 game plan season ticket holders who don't know what's going to happen. And frankly, there are going to be more season ticket holders down the line, 13 game plan holders, who may not get access to opening day because of the numbers, right? So I'm thinking for the Orioles, because they're not good enough to do this themselves, I'm thinking, how do we leverage this? How do we make this into an advantage rather than a disadvantage? And to me, it says all of the the season ticket holders who get locked out of opening day, we've got to do something special for them, right? We've got to do something to make it worthwhile buying that season ticket holder plan in addition to the 13 games. And and my first thought is, okay, you've got opening day and that's not available to you and that's all good and fine. What about opening night? Mm. What if, What if the next day or the next night, what if opening night is its own event? And what if the season ticket holders who don't get into opening day get the first access to opening night and the team does something? And we'll, we'll get to that. But the team does something to make that its own pomp and circumstance, its own product, its own reason for being. I've thought about this briefly in regards to opening night. I think it has a lot of potential. I'm actually thinking very similar to, and I, I don't like to go to the other team in town, but the Ravens. I like to come back and think, when they have their opening game, they always do a concert series down at you know PowerPoint. It'd be really interesting for the Orioles to do a afternoon into evening concert at PowerPoint, and then people could just walk up from the Inner Harbor and walk right to the stadium and enjoy the baseball game and pretty much make an entire day out of it. Fortunately, that would require the Orioles and the city of Baltimore to work cooperatively together, which... It hasn't been the case often. Yeah, but if the Maryland Stadium Authority can do it for the for the Ravens, you'd think that the MSA could do it for the Orioles. But again, I think it's more of a franchise thing. <laughs> I, I think you're onto something, but it, it does have to be for the ticket holders. Mm. You know what I mean? If you have an opening night ticket, you get this, whatever this is. Yeah, I, I understand that to a certain regard. I think it's more about, like I said, opening day is all about the celebration within the city. It's not so much about, I don't want to go there and say, I really want to see Buck Showalter run down that orange carpet. If I don't see that... I don't know what I'm going to do. It's the pomp and circumstance. And I think pomp and circumstance with a concert or festivities within the city is what I want on an opening night. 
I agree with you. And I think this is not just good for the season ticket holders. I think it's also good for the business. Absolutely. It's you great know, for the businesses and great for the city. Yeah. And, if everybody wants to be there for opening day, that's great. But if everybody wants to be there for opening night too, I mean, that's just another date. Yeah. That's another date for the restaurants and the bars and the shops and all that stuff that can, that can deal with this traffic. So you, I think a concert is an excellent idea. But I think about what do the Orioles do that draws fans one day at a time. The the first thought that came to my my mind was, you know, that that one day in July, I think it is when they do the uh, State of the Orioles where you get time for season ticket holders to to hear Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter talk. Maybe it's a it's a organizational or player appearance. You know, maybe season ticket or ticket holders for opening night can get into the stadium two hours early and there are autograph opportunities or something, you know, fan fest, you know, esque going on, on Utah street for opening night, something that would, that you can't get anywhere else. The other thing that, that comes to mind is a, uh, is a giveaway. What if opening night is just a banging giveaway? Yeah. Not something that's on the Wall standard, <laughs> not something that's on the standard giveaway schedule. I mean, something really awesome. What if everybody in opening night got a, a copy of the Orioles' 60th anniversary book? Mm, that'd be pretty cool. You know, something that's really special. Yeah. Something that would really drive ticket sales. The problem is opening night normally is a very high ticket sale night. It normally gets 30-plus people. So. Sure. But what if the people that get access to it is not just the general public, but those folks that couldn't get into opening day that do things like buy season ticket plans? Yeah, maybe it should be a Buck Showalter Garden Gnome. I like it. Yeah. I, I really think that the Orioles, from a salesmanship point of view, need to start thinking about opening night as a a marketing and a customer appreciation yeah. event so that they can take the pressure off of opening day. They can't right now satisfy the d- the demand. The demand exceeds the, the supply, which is a good thing. Yep. But open up opening night. And make it something that people will want. And I think you'll have a lot happier a fan base. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jake, with that, I think it's time we go ahead and blow the save. Um, one one I want to start with blowing the save with this week, since it's my week, was um, Brian Mattis right now is on the trade block. And it's one of those situations we were talking to Jeff Long about Orioles prospects out there. And, you know, it's one of those situations where, yes, we have these prospects. But eventually you have to walk away from those prospects at a certain point. The Mets are currently interested in him. And you look at the trade value, and I've heard people say, oh, you want this player and that player. But realistically, you've got a player in Logan Verrett who is a Rule 5 draft pick who you know has the potential to be something that Brian Mattis was supposed to be. This is a great opportunity for the Orioles to move on from Brian Mattis and say, we hope that you do well in the National League. We think you're going to do great in the National League. But we need to start preparing for the future, and you really don't fall into our future plans. Um, so I think it would be a great move for the Orioles to go ahead and ship Mr. Mattis up to New York and uh, get Logan Barrett back in return and send him back down to Norfolk so he can develop as a pitcher. And that's my blowing the save. I wish I could argue with you. I, I really do. But I think you and I have both said that that uh, Brian Mattis is a guy that we didn't expect to be tenor to contract. Correct. He doesn't fit into the current plans. He doesn't fit into the future plans. And I agree with you that Barrett is a guy that the Orioles want and they need to keep. And if they can't keep him on the 25-man roster, they need to organize a, a trade for him. It's not good for the podcast because it's not interesting listening, but you're 100% right. Scott. Yeah. All right, Jake. Um, you know, we really do appreciate Jeff Long coming on the program and uh, talking to us again. If anyone wants to follow him, go follow him at BSL Jeff Long. He writes for Baseball Prospectus. 
really interesting conversation. Jake, we continue to uh, muddle through spring training. Most interesting thing coming up this week is Matt Weiders will finally start throwing in games. Any interest to you to watch tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always interested. I, I argue that that's not the most interesting thing. I'm interested to see Steve Pierce hitting home runs on the breaking ball. Mm, yes, he has been very good over the past week. Let's see if that continues into the, into the regular season. With that, Jake, look, I've got nothing else. I bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Let's go O's. Woo! still here? It's over. Go home. Go.